0: at the high level it's another thing to take each of those levels and bring them down to reality I don't know that anybody's gonna be shining my shoes this morning because I got to take us down to where the rubber meets the road, and you'll understand guess why I really did not want to do this and I do want you to notice a couple of things number one the offerings already been taken there will not be another offering taken. And if you're very, very new to us, you do not know. And I promise, if you'll lean over to anybody sitting around you and ask them whether this is a church that presses on you for money, you can get your answer and find out that we are not. At the same time, there are times that those third rails those topics that cause us to get nervous, those topics for which Christianity and churches and pastors have been criticized still have to be dealt with. And you'll remember when I said, which church are we going to be, that the second point that I made to you is is that Antioch was a church that sent money, not took money. It had a focus elsewhere. It understood that its needs would be met as it met the needs of others. The reality behind that statement is that in order to send money, we must give money. Nothing can be sent unless it is given And so for several weeks, the Lord has been dealing in my spirit that I need to bring us as a church back again. And some of you are going to recognize as nothing new. Some principles that the world in which we live does not agree with. In fact, even the church world does not agree with them. You are liable to go to almost any church, and in that church, you're going to actually find fundraising techniques in operation. Some of them are pushy and offensive. Some are slick and professional. Others are kind and gentle. But the reality is, is that they're pushing for people to give because of a need. A need the church has. This morning I'm here to tell you that that's not how God operates. The reason that we give is not the needs of the church. The reason that we give is because our own needs. Our own needs. Now, immediately, if you're paying any attention at all, You should be scratching your head. If I need, that means I need to be given to. I don't need to give. If I need more time, I need to hold on to more of my time. If I need more money, I need to budget better and hold on to more of my money. If I need, I need to be given to. But God is crystal clear in his word. When you need, you give. Why? This morning I want to talk to you, and I've summed it up in three words. If you'll put my title slide up, guys. Windows, hands, and masters. Windows, hands, and masters. Masters. We know what each of these three words means. Windows are things through which light and air and sometimes even furniture passes through. If you ever moved into a house, you know occasionally you got to use a window to get something in. Might be a hard spot, might be a basement. I remember we got some stuff down in our basement through a window. Okay? Speaking of which, I'm about to take that article of furniture out of my basement, and I don't know how I'm getting it out. I think a sledgehammer is going to be involved because my windows aren't going to let me get it back out because I changed windows. Hands, we're all familiar with them. They're things we use. They're things that allow us to pick things up. They're things that allow us to work iPads and phones, and they're things that allow us to drive a car and things that allow us to type on a keyboard. Hands. And masters, we know what they are. We may not use these words. We might use the word boss or we might use the word leader or we might use any number of other words. But masters are those who have, in one way or another, control or at least control by influence over us. Windows, hands, and masters. This morning, again, with a little bit of reticence, I'm telling you I have three points. Windows, hands, and masters. So you'll be able to count where I'm at. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, God poses a question to the people of Israel, and he says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. The people respond to God. What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? God replies to them and says, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. And that's usually where preachers go, and they usually preach that, and they talk about that. But I'm not actually paying attention to the tithes and the offerings. Because remember, I'm here speaking to the church. You know what tithes are. You know what offerings are. You're a church that gave in the top 25 of the United Pentecostal Church to global missions. That happens by offerings. We didn't charge you an entrance fee. We didn't swipe your card. You're not on auto debit. You gave. God says in verse 10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. God, why do you need food in your temple? You're the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You're the God who creates out of nothing something. Why would you need food in your temple? He really doesn't. We need food in his temple. He says, if you'll do this, I will open the windows of heaven for you. If I can give you an image, heaven is so chock full of God's riches and his bounty and his goodness that the moment he opens the windows, stuff starts falling out. I know it's an image. I know it's not literal. I'm not meaning it literally. But you got to understand the wealth of God, the riches of God, the power of God, the provision of God, the ability of God is so great that the moment the windows of heaven are opened, out flows blessings. But not just any old blessing. He says, I'll pour you out of that window a blessing that is so great you will not have room to take it in. Try it put me to the test. If your crops will your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail from the vine fall from the vine before they are ripe says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed and your land will be such a delight says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Point number 1. You and I have to understand that the blessing comes from God, not from management. You're waiting for a caveat. There's no caveat. The blessing comes from God not from management. I didn't ask my father and my mother permission, but I will be using them throughout this sermon because it's the story of this church and it's my story. As many of you, if not all of you know, what brought my dad into contact with my mom and in contact with this message, this gospel message that transformed his life was a broken marriage. That broken marriage involved a lot of debt. Money spent that dad didn't know about. Such that when my father asked my mother later to marry him, years after the divorce was finalized, after he met her at the same place of work as a broken man, after she was kind to him, shared the gospel with him, and then at times, unfortunately, from her perspective, fell in love with him. My uncle always said to her, I wanted you to help him. I didn't tell you to marry him. (laughs) My dad and my uncle are two very different critters. They got along, and they didn't get along. They did great work together, and they also rubbed each other the wrong way, and it went both directions. He looked at my mom, as he's recounted, I've heard him multiple times. He looked at my mom and he says, I cannot promise you anything beyond the fact that I will work and provide us food and lodging. But I cannot promise you that I can get us a home. I cannot promise you what's going to happen. I want you to pause for a moment right here. My father is known as a financial manager a planner, a strategist. In fact, over the years as he has worked, it's become a little bit of folklore. And I'll be honest with you, we probably have cultivated that image just a little bit. He had all of those skills when he looked at my mother and said, I don't know how to get out of this. He knew how to run numbers because I got to tell you something about finances. It's just numbers. It's not emotion, it's just numbers. My father's a mathematician who likes numbers. So he'll look at it 15, 15 ways. He'll run graphs. If he knew computers better, he'd be scary. In other words, all of the management skills were present. And his assessment was, Eleanor, I cannot promise you. I can't even promise you a home. I mean, we'll have a place to live, but I can't promise you that I'm ever going to be able to get this straightened out where we can own a home. I don't know who taught my father this, and I don't mean to throw my mother under the bus, but she's out of parents of the Depression. And so, therefore, money is a really big deal to them because they didn't have any. My mom did not teach him this principle. I don't know where he picked it up. It must have been just by reading the Word of God, or maybe it was simply desperation. But as I've heard it, within the first year or first two years that she called the preacher on you. Within the first year, they're attending Bonneview Apostolic Pentecostal Church in Kaiser, West Virginia. Little country town in that strip of mountain range running down the east coast known as Appalachia or Appalachia. Little country town. My dad was building rockets for Hercules Incorporated outside of there at a ballistics laboratory. My mom, who'd been serving God for years, since she was 18 years of old, and she had known God even before that, she calls the pastor to their home. And this is what she says, pastor, I need you to tell my husband to stop giving. It's funny on the face of it, isn't it? It's really funny being a pastor because I can imagine what that would feel like sitting down in the home and suddenly I got somebody looking at me and one spouse is giving and the other spouse believes in giving but is now saying, we are out of balance, I need you to tell Jim to stop giving. I have never heard what Brother Williamson actually said. I have a feeling he didn't say much. That's why I think in the story, we never hear what he actually said. Because in that story, I don't know what I would actually say, I don't know how I would respond. But I do know this, not only did my father not stop giving, he kept increasing. Management wasn't going to get him out of this problem. And he is an extraordinary manager. But management was not to take care of this I don't know if Malachi played a role or it was another set of verses but my father lived out what I bring to you number one today blessing does not come from management it comes from the windows of heaven God challenges us to test him. He dares us to try him. Yes, he tells them that they're cheating him. But notice what his point is. He says, you all are operating under a curse. Because you see the problem that we have. If you want to understand where our greed comes from, and we all are greedy, we're just greedy for different things. Oh, I know. There's a whole bunch of you that look down your long noses and go, Pastor, Apple's done got its hooks into you. They just got a hold of you. I'm not going to defend, deny, say anything. I'm going to look at us and say all of us are greedy. Why? Because we operate under a curse. And the curse is this. When sin entered the world and broke it, we had to work by the sweat of our brows. And we began in this broken state to look at the world with an attitude of scarcity. In other words, there's not enough. Think back. Think back to when you were 18. Think back to the amount of money That would have made your 18 year old soul sing with joy. Think back to your dreams if only I can reach this point, if only I can achieve this, if only I can attain that. Now I ask you how much past that are you? And you still don't have enough. We operate under a curse. Every single human being, we operate under a curse. And we live in the richest nation in the world that feeds this greed. Because the government, and I'm not, I am not a naysayer of the government and I am not a conspiracy theorist, but the government needs you to be greedy. It's how the whole economy works. It's how capitalism works. I don't have a better system. I'm not saying that there's a better system. I'm simply telling you, it's not God's system. There is not a scarcity of goods. There is not a scarcity of resources in God's economy. God is not lacking ability to do anything and everything he so chooses to do. But you and I operate under a curse. We cannot see past We don't have enough. So God looks at us and he says, I've come to save you. Part of how I'm going to save you is I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to ask you to do that which does not make sense. You need me to open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. I need you to first give to me. You don't have enough. Give to me. In fact, the more that you don't have enough, the more you need to give to me. Even my mother wigged out over it. Mom, sorry for throwing you under the bus there, but it's the truth, so we're gonna go with it. You gotta be kidding me, Jim. What are you doing? I don't know how he knew. But somewhere, how'd you know? Yeah, but she didn't teach it to you, so I want to know who taught it to you. <laughs> Worse debt, more to God. Worse problems, more to God. Bigger child support check needed, more to God. Going, how's this going to work? Because God said, if you will try me, I will open the windows of heaven. But you got to pay close attention. He said, I will pour you out a blessing you cannot contain. Now, here's the church. Guess please, understand. This is where it's going to sound a little harsh, and I'm begging. You come back when somebody else can preach better and more to you, et cetera. But i just got to talk to the congregation. Here's the problem. When he opens the windows of heaven and he pours out a blessing, do you know what we all do? We run and get our buckets. We start containing it. The moment you start containing it, the windows close. Because God's intent is not just to meet your need, God's intent is to meet your need and set you free. He wants you to move from a mindset of scarcity, there's not enough, to a place of faith that there is an overabundance of provision. Even when you can't see it, even when it's not in your grubby little hands, even when I don't have it in my bucket, I serve a God who has all the provision I need. He has all of the life breath that I need. He has all of the money that I need. He has all of the relationships that I need. He has all of the love and the mercy that I need. He has everything I need. Scarcity says, I've got to get mine. And then, I'll, when I have a little bit left, I'll try to be generous and help somebody else. When God finds a person... Who through their tithes and their offerings, the more they need, the more they give. He'll start opening the windows of heaven. And when it begins to pour out, what happens is is there's a point where your need starts to get met. And at that point, if you'll keep your hands open, he'll keep the windows open. The problem is not giving when you have need. The problem for us, church, is that there are those of us who have now had our needs met, and we've stopped straining to give. The widow's mite was declared to be the greatest offering. Why? Because she gave out of her need. God will open windows of heaven. Can I get an amen, church? God will give you 10% raises every six months. God will give you thousands of dollars of bonus. God will give you a home. God will flatten the market here and ramp the market up there so that you actually move debt-free. Not only did my father buy a house, he moved here into a house debt-free. When he started the church, he owned his home debt-free in a place that was 20% higher. God knows how to open the windows of heaven. But the more that he opens the windows of heaven and the more that that blessing comes out, the harder it is for us to give because God wants us to give in the way that we gave when we were in trouble when we're not in trouble. God wants us to be able to be open to his speaking to us whenever we are not in trouble, just as we are when we're in trouble. But you and I both know what we do. We tend to try to contain it. So I remind you the blessing comes from God, not from management. If He tells you to do it, do it. Period. Second passage of Scripture, John chapter 6. Again, another passage that you know very well. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. This whole crowd's coming to him, he can tell that they're hungry. He wants to meet their need. Philip replies, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. In other words, the need is greater than the provision. You see, he's operating under a curse. He's with Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, and there's not enough. You see the problem? Church, we serve almighty God. There's not enough? Of course there's enough. We serve him who looked at a world in disarray and said let there be light and there was light he said let there be a firmament and there was a firmament he spoke everything into existence there is more than enough there's more than enough mercy for you there's more than enough love for you there's more than enough kindness for you and there's more than enough to meet every one of your needs Philip says huh, if we worked for months we'd never raise this I don't know whether Andrew had more faith or not But he speaks up and he says Well, he says Jesus, I don't know about all that But (laughs) there is a young boy here With five barley loaves and two fish I don't know how that all went down I don't know if Andrew was the pragmatic type That thought, well, let's just go see What we got already in the crowd So he starts scanning around Does anybody have any food? Some poor boy sticks his hand up in the air and says, yeah, I do. I don't know if the boy happened to be sitting near and was over in Jesus and was moved, and as children do, wanted to help. Didn't think through all the ramifications that his five loaves and two fish weren't going to do any good with thousands of people, but he's just like, well, well maybe I can help. Jesus did say, if you're going to come to the kingdom, you need to come as a little child. Maybe he had enough faith. I don't know. But these five loaves and these two fish were brought by Andrew to Jesus. And Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000, which, as you know, I think that means there's about 20,000 people there, if not more, because there's women and there's children. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Just a simple statement. Distributed them to the people. He distributed five loaves to 20,000. Some of you have worked potlucks before. Some of you have worked <laughs> worked funeral repasts before. Some of you have learned how to, you know, Brother Rick, you, you know how to take something and stretch it. I think this even gets beyond your skill set. Five loaves. Then he takes the two fish, does the same thing. And they all ate as much as they wanted. There was no portion constraints. You could come back for seconds, thirds, fourths, fifths. After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And they picked up the pieces, and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Point number two, the multiplication occurs in his hands, not ours. You hold on to what you don't need him to multiply. You go invest what you don't need. You go lay plans with what you don't need him to touch. But what you need multiplied, you got to get it out of your hands and into his hands. You got to move it from your hands who do not have the ability to multiply, to put it into his hands that has the ability to multiply. To this day, I don't know how this works. This is the same multiplication that farmers live by. Farmers do not raise a crop by holding it in a barn. They raise a crop by taking it and putting it into the field. When they put it into the field, they put it literally into the hands and the systems and the process of God. Somehow, miraculously, somehow, we don't even know fully. We've described it, but we cannot explain it. When it goes into the ground, what comes out is more than what went into the ground. The multiplication occurs in his hands. One more passage, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Then he goes on. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. You can see. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. You can't see. You can't navigate. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I want to pause here for just one moment. Church, I know this is a different sermon. Nobody's coming to polish my shoes. Desi, she's not going to snap that hanky on that shoe today. What if we think we know what we're doing in giving and we actually don't? Jesus said, it's one thing. To have darkness and know it's darkness. It's another thing to think you have light and it's actually darkness. That's a deeper darkness. What if God wants this church to be more than what it is? I expect certain things of my two year old. Well, I did. I don't have one now. Thank God. I expected one thing out of my two-year-old. I expect something totally different out of my 21-year-old. I expect there to be movement, growth, and maturation. What I expect of my 21-year-old is not what I will expect of my 30-year-old. Yes, Sister Meg, I am looking forward to them moving out. That's one of the things I expect. Give me back my home. You insidious little parasites. (laughs) Wormed your way in with your cuteness. Your pathetic need for my love and my nurture. And then destroyed it. Tried to steal my wife. I really do love my children. If you don't know me, I love my children to the moon and back but they do kind of take over your life, don't they? When you first have a baby, it's great for the first few hours until it's time to put up with them waking you up hour after hour after hour. I expect movement. I expect growth. Church, he expects movement, and he expects growth. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then God could have picked any number of words to put opposite himself. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. These past two years, I'm a giver. Church, you got to understand something. I have led this church in giving my entire life. I have given, I thought I understood giving. Until the Lord asked for more than my master would allow me. Do you know how you know what their wealth has you? When he asks for it. That 500000 that good management and faithful giving, that was my security net. I could pastor this church until the day I retired. Then he says to me, spend it. I wasn't as free of money as I thought I was. We aren't as free of money as we think we are. I'm not here. I'm not here to take another offering. We're going for something bigger than that. I'm not here to deride you for your faithfulness and missions given. You are a phenomenal congregation, and I'm so proud to pastor you. But if we are going to be an Antioch church, we have to be radical givers. Again, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus, but my father, in a moment of honesty, in recent time, confirmed to me something that I had learned and wasn't sure if he had learned. It was easier when we had nothing than it is now when we have much. Because we crave control. And that is where the master of wealth gets us. It tells us The more of me you have, the more you are in control. The lie is the more of it you have, unless you are willing to do what your true master tells you to do with it, the more it controls you. So Jesus goes on in verse 25 and says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Let's have a moment of honesty. How many of us worry about money? I'm right with you. I worry about my own and I worry about ours. (laughs) It's a lot of fun to be me. I hope you pray for your pastor. Because I worry about mine, and I worry about ours. It's a double whammy. Why worry about your clothing, Jesus says. Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. And then the verse we take so out of context. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And we apply that to everything except money. And this whole passage is about nothing but money. Who's your master? The more you need, the more you need to give. Because in that moment of need everything in your being screams I've got to get control of this I've got to get my hands wrapped around this I got to get security from this And God says no I want to set you free I want you to walk in faith Because you see, our master has more than enough to give us everything we need. We need to put it in his hands. God has no issue with you owning possessions, but his issue is with you being possessed by your possessions. When I worry, that is the canary in the coal mine telling me that I am in, I'm possessed instead of possessing. I don't worry. I'm serious. I don't worry about my wife being faithful to me. I'm secure. I'm comfortable. I know that she's faithful to me, and I'm faithful to her. I don't worry about it. So why am I worrying about money? Because it's in control of me. Losing control of our wealth. Sets us free from the curse of an attitude of scarcity, which evidences itself in greed, and it multiplies our resources, and it removes our love of wealth. The scriptures tell us the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Regina, if you'd come. So, what's the point of this morning? And yeah. I joked with you about nobody's going to shine my shoes. But you see, what's exciting to preach about, which church are we? Are we Jerusalem or Antioch? Is lived out by whether we're willing to give beyond where we're comfortable. We can be proud of sending money to others, but in order to send money to others, we have to give. I'm not here because you don't give. I'm here, and trust me, if I could have got out of this, I would have. I don't like preaching this sermon. I'm uncomfortable with this sermon. I I'm scared to death that I haven't heard from God. But I know that God has more than enough. And here's the ironic thing He has more than enough already here. It's already here. Not, not this coming, it's right here. But it's easy to get comfortable. Some of you have great need, and you're saying, "Well, that must be somebody else that can give like that." Because I'm in great need. No, in ironic sense, in a weird kind of way, it's easier for you to give because you need God to multiply. But if you're comfortable, if life is good, if God has provided, if he's been faithful, it's easy to go through the motions and even be considered by the world's standards as generous. So just like a mission service, I'm done. And it's you and God's turn to talk. You say, well, what's the point, preacher? Do what he tells you to do. It's that simple. Do what he tells you to do. I'm done, this altar's open.